my main goal is to assist people in recognizing that the source of life within them is the source of life in everything, that we're all one thing expressing itself with infinite variety, mm-hmm. and therefore all fear is is irrelevant. It's ridiculous. It's uh, biological. And, yeah. And if you want to be a creative, empowered, lit up, energized person, uh, shoot for enlightenment because really all those things are are expressions of an enlightened state. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the One Mind Meditation Podcast, where we interview teachers, scientists, authors, and passionate meditation practitioners. I'm Morgan Dix, and I'm delighted today to introduce my guest, Matthew Ferry. So Matthew is a coach, a trainer, an author, and a speaker whose unconventional style teaches you how to be happy now, regardless of the circumstances of your life. So for over two decades, he's coached and trained CEOs, top sales professionals, entrepreneurs, and Wall Street heavy hitters. He's really he's taught them to thrive during chaotic and devastating circumstances. So in this interview, Matthew shares with us really the essence of his approach, a perspective that he calls enlightened prosperity, and how that relates to meditation. We really dive into his perspective and the foundational role that meditation plays and and played initially in helping him develop this perspective. So I think you're going to find it really interesting. It's fascinating. And before we start, a quick word from our sponsor, Health IQ. So the One Mind Meditation Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, and vegetarians get lower rates on their life insurance. You can go to healthiq.com slash one mind to support the show and see if you qualify. So for example, did you know that physically active people have a 34% lower risk of all-cause mortality, a 56% lower risk of heart disease, and a 22% decrease in cancer mortality compared to people who remain inactive. Amazing. So to see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com slash one mind or mention the promo code one mind, that's one word, one mind, when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Okay, now on to our show. Matthew, so great to have you on the show. Welcome, and uh, I'm totally excited for this conversation. Morgan, me too. I've been looking forward to this, and I can't wait to to share, uplift, inspire, support all of your listeners. Beautiful. All right. Well, I like to start every show by just taking a step back and asking, what set you on your path? Like, what got you started in the work you're doing? What events in your life kind of channeled you in the direction where now you're really, you're focused on this enlightened prosperity and and you're talking about mindset and quiet mind and and how and if that relates to meditation? Well, meditation has been a very big part of my life. It really started uh, in accidental meditation. I remember being nine years old and I had asthma and my mom used to build these sort of makeshift asthma tents. Yes. And, you know, we'd have the humidifier humming, yes. right? And I'm reading a book and I'm, I'm underneath this, uh, I have this little bed underneath the table. And um, I had these mind-blowing experiences that I – it took me – literally took me decades to even understand what was happening. But hmm. I would all of a sudden like pop into reading my book, and I, it felt like my book was 100 feet below me. Huh. And I would be looking down this tunnel, and I would go into these states of just ecstasy and bliss and confidence and certainty. And Morgan, I would, I, I literally – I just, I never wanted to come out of it. You know, I never wanted to come yeah. back. And, you know, then boom, I'm back. And, you know, at nine, I don't know what to make of it, you know. So I'm like burst into tears. And, that how you know, what is that? And how do I get back there? 
Yes. And yeah. I would say that it wasn't until later in my life that I began to study uh, different meditation techniques. I, th I think probably uh, the very first meditation that I ever got into was uh, a technique that I was reading about to try and leave my body again. I was trying to do I – was, I was literally a crazy teenager – trying to experience leaving my body and going to different places yeah. and all of that. Yes. But, uh, you know, I tried everything. I mean, I tried sex. I tried drugs. I tried uh, being a rock star. I tried success. Um, you know, I made millions of dollars. I have been on stage in front of thousands of people. And I will tell you that uh, not a single one of those things produces that extraordinary state of bliss and joy. And it wasn't until my 20s that I stumbled upon, um, sorry, a meditation technique. And all of a sudden I was like, whoa, mm. oh, whoa, whoa, oh, here it is. Here's that, mm. here's that thing. Right. And uh, then I, I, you know, I just, I, I was, uh, I have son of a guy who uh, was in the personal development industry uh, my father, Mike Ferry, is he's probably the number one real estate sales trainer on planet Earth at this moment. Aha, uh -huh. yes. And so, you know, he was a seeker, but a seeker in his own way. He, you know, I tended to skew a little more spiritual. He tended to skew a little more, you know, business mindset, practical. Uh, but he was the first one who who found an enlightened healer and exposed that guy to the whole family. And I was like, whoa, what is this? Mm. Uh, but you know, I, I found this guy, Steven Sadlier, who is an enlightened meditation teacher here, right here in Laguna beach, California. Yeah. And, uh, I spent about 10 years, uh, on studying under him mm. and, uh, he was more of a Schottky pot type of guy. Yeah. And it was, uh, the two of us in Tibet actually meditating, uh, when I went into that pervasive state of oneness and never came back. And then it was Dr. Hawkins and, and it was like, oh my God, you can measure consciousness. What? You know, I was, I was always in business, you know, we can measure sales, we can measure productivity and now we can measure consciousness. Let's do it. Yeah. I've been studying, um, the application of applied kinesiology, muscle testing to consciousness and how, how it assists in discerning what is blocking the enlightened state i've been i've been studying that and working to perfect it now for you know 18 19 years mm. and uh, that really has led me to where i am there's been there's been times when i would meditate and i, I was different than uh, um, most of my teachers my teachers wanted me to meditate for a set period of time and my mind was just too restless you know so i i would just say okay as long as i take three long slow deep breaths with my eyes closed, that counts. I've meditated. Yeah. And as long as I gave myself permission to, uh, to experience the lowest common denominator, literally lower the bar so low that um, there was no way I couldn't achieve it, all of a sudden I was meditating for half hour, then an hour, then two hours, mm. then three hours. Mm. And uh, you know, there, was a, there was a good year and a half, two years where I was meditating for three, four hours a day. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. that's awesome voila then you got me now here I am hi so you had this teacher Stephen you yeah. said his name mm -hmm. Stephen Sadler and so Stephen Sadler and you all went to Tibet can you tell me a little bit about that what how did you end up in Tibet did Stephen have a teacher was his realization self arising and then he he just because he was in this state experience this, this unbroken state experience he started to Share that with you uh, spontaneously, well, or did no, he have a no, teaching? No, Stephen. Uh, you know, Stephen's probably like you and I, and probably like uh, all of your listeners. Um, you know, his heart has just been pulled towards yeah. the spiritual state. He he was actually teaching yoga to his friends at like nine years old, ten years old. Mm. I mean, this guy. You know, he was a spiritual uh, wackadoodle like the rest of us, yes. and uh, he ended up in the. Um, in the financial industry on Wall Street and bailed on Wall Street uh, from a, his spiritual calling, ended up in India uh, and um, ended up, uh, I don't remember, his I, I never been, really been a uh, much of a religion 
or tradition guy, tradition guy, right? But my whole yeah. thing has been break the rules, right? Oh, is that a rule? Let's break it, you know? Um, yes. And so he went and, and studied Shaktipat and then came home and, you know, I'm sure his life didn't make sense anymore and just decided, okay, well, I'm just going to have other people experience what I've been experiencing. And uh, it was an extraordinary thing. He and I went to Tibet together and he actually mm. took a group of about 20 of us to Tibet Wow. And that was just a fun thing that he was doing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it really wasn't anything more than let's go, let's like explore, you know, sort of ancient spiritual places and let's meditate. Wow. And so that's what we did. And that's awesome. It was really, really cool. Yeah. I went and meditated for 17 days with him in Tibet. And then uh, I had some speaking engagements in India and I went and spoke in India for a week or so. And then uh, came home, and life was never the same again after that. Uh, so something something happened in Tibet, though. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden, uh, so I'm meditating. Yeah. And this is, uh, you know, this uh, I I just you know keep my fingers crossed for each of your listeners to have this kind of experience. Yes. We're meditating, and I think it's important to be with a teacher who is in this state. That's the only thing that seems to muscle test strong for me when I uh, investigate this idea. But I'm meditating yeah. with Stephen, and all of a sudden, it's as if lightning bolts of ecstasy are going through my entire body. Hmm. And where where are you when this is happening? We're in a hotel. Like, we're in a hotel uh, conference room in Tibet, in Lhasa, Tibet. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it's no. Uh, you go and you hang out with the monks, and it's it it's so it's so apparent that the majority of the monks that you're hanging out with are, you know, they're sort of on the beginning of their journey. And, yeah. You know, you got a few head monks who are definitely much farther along, but uh, you know, hang. I found that hanging out in those spaces didn't actually produce the state that I was looking for. It was really, yeah. you know, you, you be with an enlightened teacher, bam, that energy and information is transferred to you. Yeah. It was outrageous. It was awesome. And, you know, I came home and I just said, wait a second, um, sales training, ah, can't do that anymore. Mm. Business coaching ah, doesn't make sense to me anymore. Yeah. And I began to explore this idea of if your mind is quiet, how does that impact your ability to be creative, to be strategic, to be effective, to to move the ball down the court, because all of my clients were high-powered salespeople or business people or entrepreneurs, and uh, they were they were fascinated by this idea that I had gone into this fearless, quiet state. They were like, "What, <laughs> what, what is this, Matthew?" Yeah, and, uh, and that sort of led me on this path. I, I, I would say my main, my main goal is to assist people in recognizing that the source of life within them is the source of life in everything. That we're all one thing expressing itself with infinite variety, mm -hmm. and therefore all fear is is irrelevant. It's ridiculous. It's uh, biological. And, yeah. And if you want to be a creative, empowered, lit up, energized person, uh, shoot for enlightenment because really all those things are, are expressions of an enlightened state. Being an individual rather than being a part of the pervasive oneness and the, the, you know, the energy and information that is creating all things. Like when, yeah. the, when the old information was removed or deleted or pushed aside, suddenly the recognition of this oneness uh, became my pervasive state, and and you know, I mean, uh, just reflecting on it now, my my third chakra is vibrating. I'm feeling it going up into my fourth and fifth. I'm, you know, my whole body's just like, you know, getting electrified, and um, you know, that's a really effective thing to to do. That's yeah. a, that's a, like to be in that state. I mean, if we're just, if we're just like being really honest and we're looking at this very practically and pragmatically, we're all seeking these greater states of effectiveness and efficiency. And for the spiritual person, we're having this recognition, this recognition that, ah, you know what? The highest degree of effectiveness is when I'm happy. I'm stoked. I'm lit up. I'm I'm joyous. I'm feeling good. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling mm -hmm. positive. In that state, I I 
I don't need to consume very much. I'm not using a lot of energy, yet I'm having tremendous output. And uh, to me, when I look around in the world and in the universe, I see that there is a there is a creative state and there is an entropic state, and they are in a dance. Yeah, and this creative state is this enlightened information that is coming through us in a stronger and stronger fashion all over the planet, and the entropic state is the natural degrading back to the base state. And it, it you know, Morgan, it used to be very creative to try and survive. That yeah, used to right. Be like you know, that, that was, was like the, the most badass stuff you could do. It's like. I survived for 45 years. Whoa, that's awesome. Let's, you know, pro let, let's have babies and see if we can get them to do that same thing. But now, you know, we're already living longer and longer and longer. Survival is no longer top of the food chain. Right. Now top of the food chain, intellect, emotional intelligence, and then moving into spiritual states of joy, bliss, happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction. Now, all of a sudden, we're exploring completely new levels of organization, efficiency, and effectiveness as a species or uh, as an expression of that base state manifesting. Yes. All right. So let's talk about so I want to hone in on some of these words you're using because they're they're fantastic words and maybe not, and I know I think you use them in a way to provoke new thinking, but I'm making an assumption, but that when you use the word enlightenment and then you talk about effectiveness and efficiency, those are that's a like that's a that's a cool combination. That's an interesting milieu right there. Talked, and I know it's probably just your experience you're talking about. You're not trying, you know, yeah, but pretty much. so, yeah. So, say a little bit for the audience about the relationship between these things. So, when you talk about information, say a little bit more about what you mean by that as it relates to yeah. enlightenment, yeah. as it relates to this experience. All right. That's, yeah. Okay. Cool. This is fun. So, yeah. you had some. <clears throat> information come into your experience that said, you know, what you should do, you should do a podcast. Yeah. And it would be really nice to pretend that that was you. Right. But you can't identify where it came from. You don't know you. I mean, you and I could make up a story, right? And that's really what religion and spiritual practice is. We just make up a story to try and fill in the gaps for this incredible experience that we're having. Yeah. But you don't know where the, where the volition, the information came from. All of a sudden, there was this new vein of energy. Let's broadcast and tell people about meditation and how valuable it's been in my life. Yeah. And that information is a part of the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak in scientific words, but don't even listen to me even remotely like I am a scientist, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to fill in the gaps too. So this gotcha. is just, this is just the perspective that I have yes. as I've, as I have gone into a state where my mind isn't bugging me with so much stuff. So now all of a sudden there's new, new things are available. And so as I'm, as I'm operating in my life, I start to see that ideas and information is arising from some background state. You and I are nothing more than electrons and protons swirling in and out of existence. And the question is, what is that base state? I think that the base state is the creative force, the, you know, someone might call it God or universe or, or the Buddha state or right, whatever, call it whatever. Okay, you ev evolutionary impulse. Some people call it. Yeah. There's some information that is coming forth and there's, there's information that's happening right now. You're something encouraged you to ask a question yeah. or another way of saying it is something asked a question and you are both the something and the instrument. And right. And then something is coming through me. And in your meditative state, you can begin to tap into that. And when you do, boom, your mind goes quiet. And when your mind goes quiet, suddenly new ideas, new information, new, new creative impulses come through. And the game, I find, is to recognize that 
it's not you and it is you. You are it, it is you. The goals, the dreams, the ideas are not yours. You are the goals, you are the dreams, you are the ideas. Those yeah. things are just coming through and you're the instrument, you're the expression. Even, so the, a, even a, the instrument is dualistic. You know, yeah, trying to, so, trying to figure right. out the words to use to help yes. help you and me and our listener connect with this idea that you can't you can't disconnect yourself from the the evolution of the universe evolving into greater states of complexity and order. Yeah. So as the information is arising in my awareness in response to what you're saying. There's kind of what I'm seeing is this sense of a self that's unbound, unlimited, which is directly in response to what you're saying is a sense that, okay, we tend to identify with ourselves as really circumscribed, really limited. And the information that comes through us, we tend to relate to as our, it, it's Morgan's or it's Matthew's. Matthew's conveying it and Morgan's receiving it. But you're suggesting, actually, no, that, that model, you know, it's partial. It's completely partial. Yes, there's, there's some truth to it, but in fact, there's a, there's a larger truth around it, which is unbound. Yeah, I don't know how else to say it other than, other than that. And when you connect with that idea and you, you reflect upon it, and you let it sink into the cracks of your existence, suddenly your courage to do the things that you are inspired to do is massively boosted. Mm. You're not afraid to go and say to your mom, hey, I don't like it when you talk to me in that way. It doesn't make me feel good. Because right. now you recognize, oh, wait a second, we, we are all the same thing. I have this volition, this I'm, I'm the part of the universe that is driving towards greater states of, of efficiency and effectiveness. And therefore, there's nothing for me to be concerned about. I don't need to fear being limited. This, I, yes. am, I am just expanding. I am just becoming more and more inspired, empowered, loving, kind, certain. It's just there. I don't yeah. need to. I don't need to defend it. Yeah. Uh, so two two things. One is uh, again those words efficiency and effectiveness. Implicit in what you're saying, I hear is that there's a there is a tendency towards this experience, towards those qualities. Can. Can you say a little bit more about that? Did you know that research has shown that meditating daily can lower blood pressure, decrease cortisol levels, and reduce the risk of death from heart disease? The One Mind Meditation Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, and vegetarians get lower rates on their life insurance. You can go to healthiq.com forward slash one mind to support the show and see if you qualify. But here's the cool thing. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health conscious people, including runners, cyclists, strength trainers, vegans, and more. So probably you, I'm guessing. So check it out to see if you qualify. Get your free quote today at healthiq.com forward slash one mind or mention the promo code one mind when you talk to a health IQ agent. Also, I will link up the health IQ hot link in our show notes for this episode. So check it out. Now back to our show. Two things. One is, uh, again, those words, efficiency and effectiveness. Implicit in what you're saying, I hear, is that there's a, there is a tendency towards this experience, towards those qualities. Can, can you say a little bit more about that? I've done a tremendous amount of work on Wall Street, and yeah. I'm, I'm 
the secret weapon of many, many Wall Street um, CEOs, executives, uh, you awesome. know, entrepreneurs, startups, etc. And part of what what has been coming through me is this idea that we can transform, or it is being transformed. It's not even. Yeah. It's not even what we're doing. We can transform this idea that money. Money is a greed-based situation, and we can begin to play with more empowering and effective concepts like money is a way to contribute and make a difference and and do good for the planet. Um, mm-hmm. Not because the planet is broken or um, the, uh, death, destruction, disease are bad. All of those things are just a natural part of the creative and entropic expression that is occurring here. The universe is falling apart faster than it is coming together, and people are falling apart faster than they're coming together, and then they're coming together faster than they're falling apart. You know, it's, pl- it's mm-hmm. going back mm-hmm. and forth. So this idea of efficiency and effectiveness, one of my one of my clients started this incredible company. It's now um, worth billions and billions of dollars. And the, the company, the basis, the idea behind the company is kindness, being humble, and being focused. Mm. Everything they – in fact, it's in their documents with the government that the way that they pay people is by, by first – trying to understand the degree to which they are being kind to themselves, to the other people in the company, and to the clients that they serve, and that their their pay will start with that in mind. Huh. And then it will move to a more of a metric-based process. But, yeah. the, but kindness is more important than the metrics. Mm-hmm. And this company... How, how, how does that translate that relationship that tripart relationship that you just described what what does that mean in practice that because it's for example fascinating um uh, so i coach many of the people in the organization and there's a very specific person in charge of the culture and his only job is to assist people in taking on the aspirational ideas of the company Mm. so they don't think of it like you know if you're kind, then you're right. And if you're not kind, then you're wrong. They don't think about it in that way. They, they recognize, they honor, they come from a more enlightened perspective, which is that, um, you know, life is not easy. It's unpredictable. It, you know, will, it, it's jarring, etc. And the game that we're playing is learning how to flow, how to be graceful with the ups and downs and to to lean in the direction of kindness as an aspirational idea. Mm. And so this guy's only job is to to basically make sure that everyone that gets hired into the company understands what the culture is and they understand what they're getting themselves into because you can imagine if you're a if you're a normal person, um you're self-centered, you are greedy, you're afraid that other people are going to backstab you. You're, you know, spreading gossip. You're throwing temper tantrums to get what you want. You're manipulating. That's that's like that's the normal way. Yeah. So if you come into a company like this and people are intentionally kind, you literally think to yourself, "What are they trying to do? What are they, you know, they're trying to manipulate me?" Yeah. And so his job is to set people up to understand this is what you're getting yourself into. Yes, you went to Harvard and Yale and you have a Ph.D. in statistics. And while we think that that is incredibly important as a skill, if you can't take on the skill of being a kind, humble person, then you're probably not going to work here. Yeah. And then there's constant conversation about it inside of the way that they manage they manage from the idea of, well, first, let's just start with this idea. Are you being humble or are you being arrogant? Yeah. Is your arrogance creating a collaborative energy or is it creating a polarizing energy? Mm-hmm. And while we want you to be polarizing and and uh, excited about your ideas, we want you to be excited about your ideas and recognize that not everybody's going to like them, and that's okay too. Yeah. And if your idea is good, ultimately, it, and it has merit, it's going to win. 
there's no need to fight anyone about it. You just, you just, you know, talk about what is good about what you want and be open to the downside. So there's this entire culture that got created. And here's what happened as they went out into the world and started to raise money. The people who they were raising money with would literally write them comments after they had their meetings and say, I don't know what is going on over there, but whatever it is, it's good. Mm. Something feels so good about being in the presence of your people. I am That's awesome. I am yeah. inspired by being in your presence. I mean, Morgan, you want a secret advantage? Have people be inspired about being in your presence. Yeah. That's very cool. And did did, did the uh this sort of inculcation of these values was that also a direct outgrowth of your work with the founder? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I worked with the I worked with three of the founders actually. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, you know, the main founder, I worked with him for a good 13 years before he started mm-hmm. the company mm-hmm. and he, you know, he's, he's like us. He's, there were times when he was meditating for an hour or two every single day, trying to just keep himself in the best possible place. Yeah. And, uh, you and I both know that, um, you know, meditation, you probably are going to need to ha- be in front of a teacher who is enlightened in order to actually go into that state. Yeah. Uh, but meditation certainly is the thing that can be a practice to help you stay in that state. It's probably not going to cause enlightenment per se, unless there's some karmic thing going on, but for sure meditation puts you into an optimal ease, flow, peace, yes, confidence. Yeah. All is well. Yeah, no question about it. So that's really interesting. And then how how would you talk about, like, so a strong theme in my life and something that I'm always, and this is going back a little bit again, but I'm always compelled by is the sort of the co-arising, the kind of co-creative space of consciousness. What, What happens when we come together? Because there's something, everything that you're talking about is inherently mysterious. It's all inherently mysterious, but there's something that happens when we're together where that mystery, I don't, I, I'm not sure multiplied is the right word, but it gets enhanced. There's this sort of, you used the word, it's a dance earlier, and I love that. But there's something also in terms of the intermingling and the actual, um, the kind of interpenetrating flow that yields something new when you and I come together. Or, you know, and as you obviously described with your work with these gentlemen or, or, or and, and, and ladies, I don't know if it was a man or a woman, but like your, your clients, there's something, there's, a, there's an exchange, a deep exchange happening that's influencing what they do. Can you speak a little bit to that? Like, and part of, motivation for my question is it is i think meditation it makes us in in a certain way more open to this more porous do one do you do you, or or and or in your words this enlightened focus can make you more open to that what do you think well yes so i think that everybody everybody who is seeking these kinds of states is going to do some kind of meditative practice, meditative or contemplative. Um, I don't think meditation is necessarily necessary for anything, uh, but I don't think it's avoidable either. I think that you, uh, I think that you're going to be drawn to times of reflection and examining, examining why am I agitated right now, and. And it makes no sense. It's as if my, uh, I call it the drunk monkey. It's as if the drunk monkey in my head has decided that I'm somehow in danger. And what I find is that in a, in a collaboration, if there's multiple people, to the ability to stay in a state where you recognize that all danger is an illusion and that there is, there is no truth to anything that your mind says. And everything that you hear is nothing more than your best guess at what information was just transmitted 
when you're able to stay in that state, your ability to collaborate is incredible. It's mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. You know, I have um, many, many, many of my students are – they're engaged in in different kinds of projects and things that they want to take on. Maybe they're – maybe they have decided they want to leave their – their uh, corporate job and they want to strike out on their own, do some kind of entrepreneurial venture or something like that. And what I found is, is that connecting, finding your way to connect to enlightened perspectives, be it meditation, be it yoga, be it contemplation, walking your dog on the beach, um, you know, having a reminder pop up in your calendar on a regular basis, right? Meditation really is a structure, I find, for connecting with those enlightened perspectives. When you do that, you will naturally be more open to the people that you are communicating with. You will, <clears throat> you'll naturally be more uh, flexible. And when you're open and you're flexible, you're creative. And when you're creative, all that's happening is you're just letting the more constructive things come through you. You're letting the, the idea flow that is reaching for the greater state, you're letting it come through you. And that greater state might be, I'm going to strike out on my own. I'm going to be my own boss. I'm going to make my own money. No one's going to tell me what to do because I've got ideas on how I want to run my life. And I'm sick and tired of running my life in a way that is degrading me. That is, that's nothing more than a, a, a volition to live a more creative life, a life in which you're deciding how you're going to experience things rather than being at the effect of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I think meditation as a practice can assist you in being more flexible and free in that way. Mm. Can you say also a little bit more? So this is moving on a little bit, but I'd love to hear also, can you share with our audience a little bit about this whole idea of yours? Because I, I think it's it's just in a line with everything we've been speaking about about enlightened prosperity. What is that? Enlightened prosperity is the is the utilization of kindness, compassion, joy, certainty, love, open mindedness, acceptance above all, non judgmentalism, as your tool for bringing about greater resource and mm. um, the experience of nothing needed. So enlightenment itself, in, just in my view, enlightenment yeah. itself is the recognition that the source of life within you is the source of life in everything, that we're all mm-hmm. one thing expressing mm-hmm. itself with infinite variety. In that state, mm. you don't need anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you need to put some food in your mouth and, and you probably probably a good idea to shelter yourself from from, you know, the elements. Right. So in that way, you you when you become an enlightened person, you're not you're not becoming stupid. Right. You're not making dumb moves. Um, in fact, it's exactly the opposite. In the enlightened states, you don't resist anything. And when you don't resist anything, you're like, well, wait a second. I'm not resisting this, but it's suboptimal to be treated this way. So I'm yeah, going to yeah. put myself in a different position. Uh, and when you put yourself in a new position, you move yourself into a greater state of prosperity. Your needs are getting met, and they're getting met because you have the cojones you to to say no to things. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't it doesn't bother you that people reject you and tell you that, you know, that's stupid and it won't work and blah, blah, blah. And, and you now in an enlightened state, you recognize, oh, you know, I listen, I understand those fears. I've experienced those fears before. You don't, yeah. you don't make them wrong. You just understand and appreciate what they're going through. So yeah. there's an enlightened state, which is producing a prosperous state. And if we look at uh, at the the lore 
from the um, from the various traditions that that um, speak about enlightenment, you know the lore is in the realm. It's in the realm of dogma, right? It's uh, unfounded, unrelated ideas and truths, right? It's truths that have no evidence. And the lore is that you know once you go into an enlightened state, then you know you'll retract from the world. You won't you won't um, participate anymore. Blah blah blah. And and you know right. Right. I'm sure that that's true for some people, but that's enlightenment is not a unilateral. All people who have enlightenment do this one thing. That's absurd. Yeah. We're all a different expression of the same thing. We're all this, you know, we're the grass on the lawn and every blade is growing in its own way, in its own shape. There's no one way that it grows. Right. I, yeah. I, ju- I just want you to know. We, my, I'm with my, that. My, I, my teachers I, I, and I agree. My teachers and I, we clashed a lot. And we clashed because my natural state is, well, that's bullshit. How do you yeah. know? Why can't you be enlightened and be a badass? Why can't you yeah. be enlightened and be rocking it out, having an amazing life? Why can't you be expressing yourself creatively and doing the things that are interesting to you? If you're enlightened, I would say to my teachers, if you're enlightened, then aren't you in a state of oneness and fearlessness and all things are possible and nothing is nothing is bad, nothing is wrong? Why do I have to restrict myself and limit myself? Then the natural thing that a student will say is, but what about attachment? And attachment is the exaggerated fear of losing an imaginary benefit. Hmm. But creativity, living in a free creative state, is about trusting the energy and the information that is coming through you and and riding the glorious wave of energy as it comes out and that might be a big business that might be an amazing family that might be a a new piece of art that might be an incredible group of friends that might be a yoga studio that might right i mean we don't know what it is but yeah. in your enlightened state one thing we do know, limitation, not there. Yeah. And that leads to a pretty darn prosperous life when you are yes. in an unlimited state and yeah. you don't need to make money. If I don't need to make money, I'll do whatever I want. And then if I'm trained effectively, then the things that I do will make money, right? If I'm not trained effectively, then being in an enlightened state is not going to have me suddenly perform effectively there, you know there is a there's a practicality to money for example yeah but you take a highly trained person in money you help them to achieve enlightened states and watch out it is nuts what happens hmm that's interesting the rules don't apply my students and I we call ourselves spiritual hooligans we're like a we're a, a band of of uh, you know lawless, spiritually lawless, crazy people having fun. Yeah, <laughs> crazy people. Great. Yeah. Right. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Not meaning. destructive. Yeah. Not destructive. Uh, not, just unwilling. Not, unwilling to be bound by any code. Yeah, I was going to say not adhering to the social norms, maybe. Including or, or including the spiritual norms. Well, yeah, that would that would definitely be included, definitely. Right. Then uh, you should see the crap that I get on Facebook. It's hilarious. Right. Give us some examples. A person who says they're enlightened is clearly not enlightened. Oh, right. really? Okay. Says who? Yeah. It it took a lot of reflection for me and a lot of releasing to come to a place where I was able to admit what I was experiencing and not feel the natural um, the natural repression of the dogma that uh, that surrounds this state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are repressed. 
we're repressed by our by the the very thing that we've been trying to achieve and the repression comes from the way that people contextualize it and the rules yes. they hold right there are there are yeah. no rules the rules don't exist they're all in your head so the the game that i like to play is to challenge everything and and for me the ultimate tool the thing that just blew my mind was when dr hawkins um came out with his methodology to utilize muscle testing applied kinesiology and discern the levels of consciousness and uh, for for literally a decade I'll, that's all i did was study that and it mm. really wasn't until actually i transcended that that i was able to really accelerate everything for myself and for my students mm. so what I, the way i think about it is like this anything that causes your body to malfunction is probably not effective to hold on to. So mm -hmm. if I handed you a, uh, uh, you know, some sort of radioactive material and said, why don't you just keep this in your pocket? You'd be like, ah, no, Matthew, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. In fact, I don't even want it near me. In fact, I don't want to touch it. In fact, get it away from me now. You are unable to see the the actual effect, right? You don't know the radiation itself is some sort of um, frequency, energetic phenomenon, not discernible by the human being, but instead by a machine. Yeah. Yet, you know that if you expose yourself that, to that on a regular basis, that it would degrade you. And same thing with the idea of hate, for example. If you expose mm -hmm. yourself to hate, then you will be degraded. And yes. the crazy thing is, is that muscle testing will show you that. Mm. So if you say, I hate you and, and your arm is out and, and your testing is in proper alignment and my God, that's important. You say, I hate you. You won't be able to keep your arm up. Your arm will literally mm. fail. The muscles will fail. Your system malfunctions. And so many, so many of the, the ideas that are promoted about enlightenment actually cause the body to fail. Hmm. It's mind-blowing. All right. Well, so two things. One, thinking about this sort of larger picture you're painting about the, the ideas and the concepts and the limitations around what we're calling this state or this... Let's, let's call it a context, right? It's a, it's a, a contextual a, a, framework contextual framework or perspective maybe yep. called enlightenment all of that seems to me a lot of a lot of it we've inherited from the traditions you and bet. you know originally that's where a lot of these teachings around how to attain these states or of these, these and thank god right thank yeah. god that they, a a they amen. that they spoke and, up and they were appropriate, I think, for their times. Oh and mind-blowing. Uh, and, and so appropriate even for today, so much of it, right? But the yeah. question is, can you, can you wade through the dogma? That's what I was going to say, is like a lot of what we've inherited, I mean, these traditions emerged several thousands of years ago when humanity was, as you correctly pointed out in the beginning, was still very much, everything was about survival, Totally. And so a lot of the ideas and a lot of the things that people were pushing against back then to transcend, they were ideas, they were concepts, they were things all related to the cultural and social milieus of the time. Whereas right now we're in a very, it seems to me enlighten, enlightenment, and this is implicit maybe in what you're saying, it's something that and it sounds like your whole relationship is a te to, to it is a testament to this. It needs to be reinterpreted again and again and again. Otherwise, how can you not be influenced by these ideas and contexts which have surrounded it since the beginning, since it emerged in human awareness? I, I, don't, yeah. I don't think you can. And it's without. evolving, Morgan. Yes. It's evolving. And to relate to a context like it's not evolving is it's just not effective. You know, enlightenment is not a religion. It's not a set of practices. It's not an outcome. It's not a place. No group has a claim to it. There are many well, paths yeah. to achieve it. I was going to say it gets appropriated by different, I don't know, interests, you might say. Yeah. But I, 
I would I would be surprised, like, because I think. And we, hey, we all like to be validated. Even in your enlightened oh. state, it's nice to have someone go, dude. Of course. It is so awesome to be in your presence and and to experience what I experience when I am in your presence. I literally go into these states of profound happiness and peace. Hot damn, let's do some more of that. I mean, yes. you know, I, I don't care who you are. It's enjoyable to if you are a person on the path of let's call it upward emotional mobility, right? It's upward mobility but in an emotional experiential state, if you're on yeah. that path, then, you know, knowing, getting substantiation from the environment is, is terrific. Not a tad good. You don't care, yeah. but well, it's nice. You're a human being. That's right. You don't stop being a human being. Exactly. <laughs> so of course, you know, you, you need love, you need positive reflection. I mean, you know, exactly. You create, Those things don't, you, and you create a situation where that happens. When you're in an enlightened state, you you recognize that we're all the same thing expressing itself with infinite variety. So I'm just going to go find the variety that's interesting to me, hmm. since there's no attachment, since none of it is right or wrong or good or bad. I might as well just find the things that continue to bring me up. Yeah. What would you say? So. Since that experience in Tibet and as it's unfolded until here we are right now having this conversation, what would you say, share with us maybe a challenging moment? What What is something in that time that has really challenged you, maybe even fundamentally, and challenged this perspective or challenged this kind of ground that you're standing on? The most, may, the most yes. challenging thing I, I think that I faced was in the last six or seven years, and maybe, maybe it's been a little bit longer, but I remember being in, in meditation and suddenly becoming aware of more aspects of consciousness then were were just the plants and the trees and the humans and the bees and and but something else something else that was there some other aspect of mm-hmm. consciousness that uh, that was um, suddenly apparent and I'm sure that uh, it was su- as surprising for for it as it was for me to suddenly be aware of each other but then going back to my teachers. And saying, whoa, what is this? And them saying, it's in your mind. But then having my tool, my muscle testing tool to discern, well, wait, this isn't, my mind is not even here. I'm no longer experiencing a survival state. My mind doesn't yeah. talk to me if I don't want it to. Yeah. I might activate it for, for creativity, but I don't, I don't need it. And it was incredibly challenging to sort of strike out on my own, but it also led to an incredible breakthrough. So it's kind of like this. At one point, my teachers were no longer there to help me. Right. I had to face an entirely new reality that I was experiencing. And this entirely new reality um, felt through time. It was this. It was this experience and recognition of the the multiple times that this thing that I was had existed. The multiple lifetimes, we'll call it. Now, you and I could talk about lifetimes like we know what we're talking about, but we don't. We're just making up a story. We have no idea what's actually happening. But I was having these experiences where I would see through time, oh my God, I would see all of the, the times in which I had existed. I would then experience all of the different influences, these different types of consciousness. They weren't human, but they weren't like ghosts or anything. They were just like, there's a whole strata of consciousness, for example, that is greed mm-hmm. and hatred mm. and victim. Mm-hmm. There's an entire strata of consciousness that promotes, and when I say promotes, it's not like uh, um, it's doing it, but it is, uh, it's more like if you're in the ocean and you're swimming in, this, in a bay and yeah. suddenly a whole like 
different part of the ocean comes in and it's like uh, it's got completely different set of qualities the ocean goes from sparkling blue to like you know dark and gray right it's still the ocean right but there's just a different part of the ocean a different expression yeah. of the ocean and yeah. as these things were appearing to me it, it first of all it was it was uncomfortable it was startling it was it was uh, disconcerting i you know i thought i was going crazy there was all kinds of stuff going on but ultimately it was through the muscle testing that I was able to find my way back and recognize, ah, okay, there are things that strengthen me. There are things that weaken me. And if I will just continue to move in the direction of that which strengthens me, mm-hmm. that all of this is – that none of this is separate. Yeah. None of what I'm experiencing is separate or danger. It's just a part of consciousness that we're normally not aware of. We don't, we don't realize that – you can walk into a room and become prideful. We don't realize that. We don't realize that there's aspects of consciousness, pockets of consciousness that are geolocated. There's pockets of consciousness that are emanating from different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. We don't realize that, um, you know, you, you take our current president and our current president is so interesting because all he has to do is be on TV and um, you get both hatred rah, comes roaring forward and then yeah. you get the opposing force of love and unity at the exact same time. It's so fascinating to watch the interplay of consciousness and it's taken a long time for me to be able to make peace with or not be thrown off by the survival parts of consciousness which are so present yes so present everywhere and i'm almost say it in this way morgan with discernment you begin to realize that survival consciousness is not a human trait mm-hmm. but it is actually an aspect of consciousness mm. that humans are an expression of. We are, yes. we are like, we're using that part of consciousness. Yeah. And in the past, those things have been very, very effective. I mean, those, that was leading edge stuff to be prideful. That was leading edge stuff to yeah. hate the people that were going to kill you. That was amazing, <laughs> right? But it had yeah, to be totally. transcended. Yeah, yeah. And and in order for us to move to the next stage of our evolution, which is the the evolution of our of intentionally experiencing, we have been trying to connect with these enlightened states for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. That's just becoming more normal now, right? If you say to a person, is happiness important? You know, 99% of the people you say that to would say yes. But 100 years ago, is happiness important? They would go, what are you, stupid? Yeah. No, happiness is not important. Staying alive and make sure your family can, you know, rise above everybody else. That's important. Yes. Well, so, all right, we're getting to the end here, but Matthew, I, there's two, two things I want to follow up with. That was like, that was great. Thank you so much for talking about that challenge. That was, that was fascinating and illuminating. And I love hearing you talk about that. So can you clarify for everyone quickly, when you talk about the muscle testing and Dr. Hawkins approach, number one, can you just say a little bit about what that is? And then number two, can you then Speak to our listeners who are compelled by what they're hearing. They're interested and intrigued, and they want to learn more about enlightened prosperity. So what, what can they do themselves first to yeah. start engaging with that? And then how can they follow up with you? If you could, those, those right, kind cool. of three things. So um, Doc Hawk, one of, you know, one of my most important mentors. Yeah. And what he did was he applied kinesiology, applied kinesiology. He applied, applied kinesiology. He, uh, he basically took muscle testing and said, what if we assigned an arbitrary scale from one to a thousand and we assigned it to the traditional map of consciousness that psychotherapists already use in their practices? 
And he, he basically uh, discerned and was able to replicate over and over and over that if you apply a scale from one to a thousand, you can measure consciousness. I thought that that was phenomenal, and I studied that for years and years and years. But ultimately, I felt like my mentor got caught up in a distortion. And the, the distortion that I believe that he got caught up in was that a strong muscle test meant that it was true, and a weak muscle test meant that it was false. And over time, as my consciousness has gone up and up and up, I've started to see it in a totally different way. That a strong muscle test means that it is strengthening. And a weak mm -hmm. muscle test means that it is weakening. Mm. And any other meaning that you apply to it is nothing more than your meaning. Mm. And that there is no actual meaning to anything other than what we apply. So mm -hmm. what I have done in my methodology, so I, I developed something called the rapid enlightenment process. And I started to experiment with how fast can I get someone into an enlightened state and then what tools can I give them to help them stay there? Mm -hmm. And in my methodology, we, we basically started to discern what are the most strengthening ideas that you could expose yourself to, that when you exposed yourself to those ideas, they profoundly changed your reality and helped you to attain an enlightened perspective. And that's mm -hmm. all enlightenment is. It's just a perspective. It's a context about the world. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about muscle testing, that's all I'm talking about. I will say this for, for your listener. Muscle testing has been one of the most pesky things I have ever tried to master in my entire life. And it, it should not be taken lightly. It's not dangerous, but it is, it is mentally vexing. And, mm. and um, the body does not want to cooperate most of the time. And most of the statements that we use in the rapid enlightenment process cause the body to go into a protective state. Because the statements themselves contradict the fundamental nature of most people's consciousness. And if the mm. body is in a protective state, the muscle testing fails. Mm. So you have, to be, you have to be in a thriving state, which is just like a state of rest. Yeah. And then you can do the testing. So that's that. Um, if someone wants to continue to explore the ideas of enlightened prosperity, I've created a little website that they can go to, matthewferry.com forward slash one mind, all one word, all lowercase. And if they go to matthewferry.com, which is two T's and two R's, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-F-E-R-R-Y.com forward slash one mind, then they will see that there is a page that I put up for them that says, thank you for listening to the One Mind Meditation podcast with Morgan Dix. And Amen, brother. Bomb. There are three free gifts for them there. The awesome. Seven Steps to Happiness and Success Game Plan. They are going to get the first four chapters of my new book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life, and a visualization that I created called the 1010 Visualization Process, which I think that they will be stoked about. That's a little audio for them to listen to, a little meditation audio. And uh, I think that that's a great way to start. You know, you can also go to my website. I just put out a new article that I think you'll dig called 10 Myths About Enlightenment. Nice. And I think that, uh, that you know, it would be fascinating and potentially perplexing even some of the goods that I think about it, you know. I, I, my goal is to break the rules. That's awesome. So everybody, I am going to link all of this up in the show notes as well. So you can find the link that Matthew's talking about, matthewferry.com forward slash one mind over on the show notes for this episode. You can go there right now yourself. I encourage you to do that. Pick up these free gifts that Matthew and his team have put together for you. Check it out if you're inspired by what you've heard today. I certainly am. I hope you check it out. And Matthew, this is awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I hope we'll get a chance to talk again soon. Okay, my friend. Well, thank you for having me on the show. And thank you for listening to all the listeners. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Matthew Ferry. If you enjoyed the show, I encourage you to 
head on over to the show notes and follow the links over to his website. And there you can pick up all the free gifts that Matthew is talking about. Just head on over to aboutmeditation.com and visit the show notes for this episode. And if you did enjoy the show, will you leave us a rating and a review on iTunes? I really, I cannot emphasize enough how helpful that is for us in terms of getting introduced to new meditators. That is really just a massive help for us. So head on over to iTunes if you're inspired and please leave us a rating and a review. And so today we're going to end with a quote and this one is from the Rigpa Glimpse of the Day and it goes like this. Whatever thoughts and emotions arise in meditation, allow them to rise and settle like the waves in the ocean. Whatever you find yourself thinking, let that thought rise and settle without any constraint. Don't grasp at it, feed it, or indulge it. Don't cling to it, and don't try to solidify it. Neither follow thoughts nor invite them. Be like the ocean looking at its own waves, or the sky gazing down on the clouds that pass across it. You will soon find that thoughts are like the wind. They come and go. The secret is not to, quote, think, quote, about the thoughts, but to allow them to flow through your mind while keeping your mind free of afterthoughts. <laughs>